welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Spock. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this is the first episode of season three of Shoot the Flick. Yay! We are starting off with our normal monthly series situation. We are going to be covering a new franchise of nerdiness. And uh, in case you didn't realize from the title of this episode... We're talking about Iron Man, released in 2008, which means we're doing a whole shit ton of Marvel movies this year, so I'm excited. Oh yeah, it should be very interesting, but we couldn't do this alone. (laughs) Oh no, this is very important. Season 3, episode 1, we needed help with Iron Man. Yes. So, we brought in the CEO of Grassroots Web Design, our friend, Josh Lamoth. Josh, welcome to... Shoot the flick. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so, Josh, how are you feeling about being here with us today to talk about Iron Man? I'm happy. I'm happy to be on your first episode of season three. I feel honored. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, yeah, this movie arguably started it all, right? Yeah, it definitely did. It definitely changed the landscape of Hollywood as we know it today. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, there was the Hulk, but. No one counts the Hulk. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I feel like we shouldn't. <laughs> of course, you had Blade and stuff before this too, X-Men, the Spider-Man, but none of them started a universe. None of them made it so everyone needs to start a universe. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it really kind of started that trend. Yeah, it's funny when you watch back because now we're so deep into it. We're, what, not counting Spider-Man since we haven't seen it yet, what, 26, 27 movies in? Somewhere around there, yeah. It's crazy to look back and go, oh my god, there's the symbol for the Ten Rings in the background. (laughs) Yeah, that was weird. That didn't occur to me. Like, literally, the opening scene of this movie has the Ten Rings, and I'm like, oh, I forgot that was a thing all the way back then. (laughs) That's the genius. That wasn't an Easter egg. That was just a prop, you know? That was just, like, some reference. Yeah. We had no idea that they would ultimately, like, be, like, a callback, like, 20 years later, or 10 or more years later. So, Josh... What's your introduction to Marvel, the MCU? Like, I know you probably saw this movie just like we did when it came out. But what was your, like, introduction to being nerdy with all this? I don't know the timeline exactly, but, I mean, you mentioned Blade. Blade was definitely a badass movie. I don't even know if I thought Blade was a Marvel movie when I first saw it. But I'll tell you, the first time I was, like, a grown child at the movies was Spider-Man 1, the same Raimi, the original Spider-Man 1. That was when I realized, like, whatever superhero movies can become with the technology now, like, I'm in. They definitely agree with you. Spider-Man was a big part of just comics in general because before Spider-Man, you had, back in the day, you had the old Captain America, the old Fantastic Four, which are really bad. Don't ever go watch them. Isn't it weird how, like, even today they can't manage to make a good Fantastic Four movie? Uh, yeah, that, but that franchise, that, those are probably the ones that had the least effect on me, to be honest with you, the Fantastic Four ones. Well, you have to understand, I think the thing about the Fantastic Four, A, it hasn't been Marvel running that. Oh, is that like a Spider-Man situation where it's like Sony, yes. Disney, Sony, Disney? Uh, Fox owns the rights to Fantastic Four. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. So, well, they are. there is talk, uh, phase something like Phase 5 or something like that of, of uh, Feige's plan is to include the Fantastic Four. So I think they are coming into the Marvel MCU eventually. I doubt with the same people from the fucking Fan Four stick. No, the, the, well, we've had two separate sets of Fantastic Four, I think. We're... Although, who knows, because now multiverse is a thing. Yeah, well, plus Chris Evans is Captain America, so he's not going to be playing Johnny Storm anymore, that's for sure. That's true. Yeah, so they'd have to recast it, which I guess is fine. I mean, I don't think anyone was married to Miles Teller as the stretchy guy. I don't even know what the fuck Mr. his name is. <laughs> Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> Bringing it back to Iron Man, do you guys think that the uh, the original Iron Man was was true or more true to the, to the comic books? To a degree, yes, But also to a degree, no, because in the comics, I feel like they were allowed to go a little darker with especially his alcoholism and uh, how that kind of ruined him as a person. It's the same thing, actually, with Captain Marvel, too, because she also is really a bad alcoholic in the comics. 
Well, Tony Stark, from what I understand in the comics, Tony Stark was based on Howard Hughes, who was like a basically Tony Stark. He's an inventor. He's a bajillionaire. And he, you know, fucks a lot of ladies. So, <laughs> I mean, Tony Stark, at least in Iron Man, that's Tony Stark. You couldn't go as dark as you need to with him. But now with Downey Jr., I can't separate him from the character. That's true. Which is going to make it really funny when we do cast could have <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was looking at some of the, um, the the possible cast. I think Tom Cruise was on the list. There was a couple people uh, that I, I just can't imagine a world in which anybody else but Downey Jr. Oh, yeah. playing this character. Absolutely. Well, don't we're gonna we're gonna talk about it, Scott. Scott's giving me a very scary face. Tom Cruise. We're gonna get there. <laughs> oh God, Iron Man's four foot seven. What? <laughs> oh gosh. All right, so let's get through like some of the preliminary mishigas of the deets of this movie, and then we can kind of get into the nitty-gritty. So this film was directed by John Favreau, who's also an executive producer, and he acted in the movie as, you know, basically Tony's right-hand man, Happy. We know John Favreau directed a bunch of movies by now. He directed Elf, the Jungle Book and the Lion King movies that just came out, Cowboys and Aliens, which we've talked about on the show. <laughs> but funnily enough around the time when Tom Cruise was being considered amongst other people for the role of Iron Man back in the 90s, Stuart Gordon and Quentin Tarantino were both approached to direct an Iron Man movie. And it just fell through for reasons. But <laughs> Stuart Gordon, the guy who did, um, you know, Reanimator and <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. Why the need for so much gruesome graphic violence? Why not let us imagine Because it's so it? much fun, Jan. Get it? Oh, and then when this project started to kind of come to fruition, originally Joss Whedon was attached. And then we had uh, another gentleman by the name of Nick. Cassavetes, who directed Scott's favorite movie, The Notebook. Oh my goodness, amongst other things. But I just like bringing up The Notebook because it makes Scott angry. <laughs> and um, after all that fell through, in I think 2006, John Favreau signed on and the rest was history. And I'm sure all those other people are like kicking themselves in the ass right now that they didn't get to make this movie. <laughs> I, I think Tarantino's fine. Well, Tarantino's fine. That's fair. I'm trying to think of a Favreau movie that was even com comparable to a big budget action movie. So, I mean, there was a big gamble being taken all around on this guy. Uh, yeah, I think so, because the budget for this movie was $140 million. And it, by the way, it made almost $600 million. So they clearly cashed their cash cow. There were four riders on the movie two duos basically so we have the duo of mark fergus and hawk osby who wrote such gems as uh, transformers last night Oof. cowboys and aliens eh. and men in black international Oof. fun and then we have art markham and matt holloway the only thing i could find of theirs of interest was the new movie that's coming out in 2022 uncharted a majority of the i was reading up on this too a majority of the dialogue is ad-lib Oh, I'm not surprised by that at all. Yeah, pretty amazing considering some of that dialogue is really good. Like, it's just badass ad-libbing if you, if you Oh, it's super sharp, yeah. And before we get into the nitty-gritty, I must, of course, because I mean talk about the Oscars. Iron Man was nominated for two Oscars, of course, in technical categories because Marvel movie. <laughs> uh, it was nominated for sound editing, but because it's... 2008 it lost to the dark knight <laughs> and it was nominated for visual effects but lost to benjamin button I, I forgot dark knight and iron man came out the same year <laughs> isn't that weird it doesn't feel like that's true but it is yeah and yet they were both massive successes so it didn't seem like they were super competing with each i mean maybe at the at the oscars they were but in the box office they both did very well those two movies really were kind of the birth of like the superhero boom because those movies were so iconic in their own wheelhouses. Well, not only that, but to think about it, like Dark Knight's coming off the success of Batman Begins, so it's got a lot of hype behind it. Iron Man kind of comes out of nowhere. It does, that's true. Yeah, and yet Iron Man is not a household name primarily. You know, it's like... Spider-Man, the Hulk, Captain America, of course, the average Joe might know him. But Iron Man, 
it's kind of not a niche character. He's a main major character, but you know, as from the masses' point of view, would the name Iron Man have drawn a crowd? It was. I can understand how that would have been quite a gamble. Well, you also have to think about it. Marvel before this was going almost bankrupt. That's why they sold the rights off to Spider-Man, to Fantastic Four, because those were big, high properties that sold for money. Right. If Iron Man was a big character, they would have sold Iron Man. Right. Oh, that's true. They had to make it work with some smaller characters. That's why we trust them to do things like Shang-Chi, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, like these characters like no one has ever fucking heard of unless you've read comics for 30 plus years. I think I think audiences like that. I think, you know, you can rehash the same old characters over and over again, or you can, you know, introduce, I honestly didn't know the Guardians of the Galaxy at all. Oh, no one did, I feel like, yeah. Like, okay, I guess, I guess there's an appetite for sort of obscure characters to make huge cinematic films about. It's so crazy when you think about it, because there really is such a heavy Rolodex, because Stan Lee is just so fucking amazing. Like he made all these, at least I I would assume all of the characters, if not most of them, at least with somebody else. It's him and Jack Kirby. Right, yes. Because Jack Kirby is the silent man who doesn't get as much credit as Stan because Stan is such a big figure. But Jack Kirby is also huge. But yeah, I think Squirrel Girl is going to be in a movie at some point. Oh my god, I don't know who that is. I'm scared. <laughs> Drop the money, guys, bucket, or face the wrath of Squirrel Girl. But the thing is, too, I remember specifically when Guardians came out was or was announced, like, coming out, everyone was like, who the fuck are these people? Because by the time that that was coming out, like, all the major characters were, like, established, and we, like, were on the road with them, and we're like, okay, now you're introducing all these random new people? There's a freaking squirrel in a tree? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. But it turned out to be, like, one of my favorites, I think, of the whole marvel universe josh before we like get into yes deep into iron man what would be your like top three marvel movies oh jeez. oh jeez. all right put him on the spot why don't you i think i would say iron man is one doctor strange i love doctor strange and my third well i just saw the new spider-man okay wow so no spoilers <laughs> i'm still kind of feeling how I feel about I, I love it don't get me wrong but I as far as ranking I, I'm still trying to figure out that but um probably Endgame would be makes my sense. third makes sense Endgame is for sure I mean I sobbed during Endgame it was insane ironically enough death of Tony Stark yeah I mean spoilers for those of you who haven't seen it but I mean if you haven't I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul so uh, guys, are you ready to get into chapter one of phase one of the MCU? This is very iconic and lots of pressure, but I think we can handle it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, so we start off with Back in Black opening the movie. You gotta love the choices of music. It's, it is great. I do think I like... Where's Iron Man right here? I'll let but it like, we gotta, we gotta build up to that, dear. <laughs> so basically, we open up with Tony Stark in Afghanistan. He's basically inherited his father's weapons empire, Stark Industries. He's got this defense contract with the military, and they're going to Afghanistan to like test it out. And basically, Tony, you know, being on his high horse, like I'm the shit. Look at what my bombs can do. Boom. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was such an amazing intro because you don't really know who, the, like I said, like, I'm sure a lot of people didn't really know who this character was. And just all of a sudden, you're just, you're in that Humvee with him. And within less than a minute, you're kind of hooked on this character. I think that's a tribute to his acting and just that role, his ability to capture that role, because it didn't take, I, I swear, it took probably two, three lines of dialogue and you're just like, you're in. His charisma is off the charts. Yeah. And that's what makes him so iconic as this character. It's very funny because I was listening to a podcast talk about this. If you do this chronologically as the movie goes on where it's supposed to be. Right. There's like no action for like the first 20 minutes of the movie. Moving this just here hooks you. Yeah, that really was the best choice because 
as we were saying before, this is a new character. Like the audience really doesn't know. And it really does a great job to not only kind of just quickly sum up who this guy is, Tony Stark, but also kind of jump you right into the action of it. And then it does flash back to 36 hours prior and we kind of learn more about him as a person. We meet his business partner, Obadiah Stain, played by Jeff Bridges. And he's like, we were talking about it. I, I want to know what Josh thinks about this. Because we were saying last night when we watched the movie that Obadiah Stane is definitely on the higher tier of Marvel villains. Because sometimes Marvel villains, they're like hit or miss. You know what? I, 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 that's definitely arguable. But I think what really makes him a, a menacing villain is because he's entirely human. No power, no mutant abilities, nothing but just a guy who's a really bad dude. Plus, he was kind of a turn you know what i mean like you didn't know he was the villain so pulling that off that always makes for a great villain when you're not quite clear who the villain is uh and then let's see we meet of course tony's assistant pepper potts played by gwyneth paltrow who i read about her at least the character of pepper potts and supposedly she was supposed to be played by rachel mcadams originally but i think she dropped out for whatever reason I don't feel like, and I rewatching the movie, I kind of still feel the same way. Obviously, they paint Tony and Pepper as like a love interest. I don't really feel a lot of chemistry between them. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, was she the best choice? I don't know. I mean, I, I get the idea of like, compared to all of these superficial women that he dates and has one night stands with, she's like a very real and important figure. I mean, there is a line where he basically is like, I can't do it without you kind of a thing. I mean, I get their chemistry like on paper, but did it play off in the screen? I, I probably agree with you on that one. Since Josh mentioned Tony Stark's many floozies in One Night Stands, we also meet Christine Everhart, who's a reporter who's out to get the truth from Tony and make him feel bad for being a warmonger man until he's like, come to my house and sleep with me. And <laughs> she goes to his giant house and sleeps with him. She's played by Leslie Bibb who is fine. I mean, she's the wife from Ricky Bobby. That's what I know her from. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. Well, not only do we meet them, we also meet Mr. Terrence Howard. Yes, Terrence Howard played Rhodey in the first Iron Man movie. Of course, we all know that after this movie, he was replaced by Don Cheadle. A far better choice. I think everyone can concur with that. Well, Don Cheadle, I think, is a better actor than Terrence Howard. Correct. Terrence Howard said that he declined to return to the role because, quote, he was offered a lower salary to compensate for RDJ's increased salary. And he was like, fuck no. Well, it's funny because he has that line where he like at the end where he will get there, I'm sure. But where he looks at the at, yes. the, uh, at the suit and he's like, next time, you know what I mean? And we were all laughing. We were like, no. <laughs> See, that's funny because you're dumb. So, OK, Humvee explodes. Boom. Tony gets kidnapped by the Ten Rings. Mwahaha. And we meet Yinsen, a fellow captive doctor who implants the infamous electromagnet doohickey into Tony, the arc reactor, to basically keep him alive by keeping all the bullet shrapnels away from his heart. Yeah, Yinsen puts a magnet in his chest and then Tony makes the arc reactor out of spare parts, which is insane. <laughs> The Ten Rings leader, he goes to Tony and he's like, listen, we'll give you your freedom in exchange. You have to make us a Jericho missile, which was the missile that they were like testing out originally in Afghanistan. They're like, make us a missile and we'll set you free. And <laughs> Tony's like whispers over to the to Yinsen. and he's like, they're not going to let me go. And he's like, nope. <laughs> and he's like, OK, so we got to come up with an escape plan. Da, da, da. So Tony initially does agree to make this missile for them but secretly him and Yinsen build this super suit basically out of like Scott said scraps from all the Stark weapons that they just have on hand which why do they have those weapons hmm I wonder anyway My, what I was wondering was was there any indication in the movie before this that was the inspiration for this suit idea 
Or did he just kind of come up with it because he's like, well, I have to leave this cave and I have to take a lot of bullets. I thought about that too while I was watching. And I'm like, it seems like a convoluted idea. I mean, I get like Josh said, you got to dodge a lot of bullets or take a lot of bullets, whatever, to get out. But it just seems like a convoluted train of thought to be like, I must build a Michelin Man super suit to get out of here. Yeah. And the way he actually built Jarvis is kind of like that. Because, I mean, assuming Jarvis is, is based on his brain a little bit. He kind of just concepts how things need to go. And then Jarvis and the AI kind of puts it together. So he's kind of, he's, he understands how things can go apart and come back together in new ways. So eventually the bad guys kind of catch on to what Tony and Yinsen are doing. And they like barrel into the little workshop and they're like, what's going on in here? So Yinsen in like the big tearful sacrifice of the movie kind of, holds off the bad guys to give Tony more time to power up his super suit. Yinsen is killed by the bad guys, sadly, and Tony does escape, kicks a whole lot of ass, and he burns all of the Stark industry weapons that the bad guys have on site, and he flies off into the distance and promptly crashes into the desert in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> destroying the OG suit. He is found basically immediately by Rhodey. And he also survives that crash. <laughs> yeah, movie magic, kids. One thing I did want to mention also is Yinsen's last words to Tony were, don't waste your life. Basically meaning you have all of this opportunity and these smarts and these resources. Don't fucking waste it. <laughs> you have the opportunity to do something really good here. You got one shot. Oh no. One opportunity. No. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti. He's. <laughs> Whenever Scott gets a chance, he will quote Eminem, most likely Eight Mile. Probably. Or Slim Shady. So they come back, and Tony wants two things a cheeseburger and a press conference. Literally, I don't think anyone has ever just had a line about a cheeseburger make a human being want to cry. Because as soon as he said the cheeseburger line, all I was thinking about was Endgame, where Happy goes to Tony Stark's little daughter and is like, your dad liked cheeseburgers. And I was like, oh no. Burger King, by the way. I checked the bag. Yes. Yes, Scott said that too. I was like, oh my God, of course you spot that right away. So, quick sidebar question. If you... After starving for well, however long he was there. <laughs> That's a good question. What food is the first food you're asking for? Oh my God. Taco Bell. Literally Taco <laughs> Bell. I don't even care. Maybe a hamburger. You know, because also it's Quintus. It's American. You know, I think that's part of what it was too. And it was it's like, I was in some foreign country in the middle of the desert, the complete antithesis of America. I want the most American thing. Yeah, I'd probably go with fried chicken personally, but that's just me. <laughs> like large fry from mcdonald's that'd be good i love how all of us are saying like trash food no one's like oh i'll have a filet mignon no, no we all just want trash food. like a salad please <laughs> yeah, let me get a cob salad cob oh my salad god here. gross so um tony has his press conference before the pre press conference also we meet agent colson which i forgot he was in this movie <laughs> i was like hey <laughs> hi buddy his running gag throughout the whole movie is he's trying to get a meeting with Tony and they're like, oh, it's all right, sir. We'll meet with you at some point. <laughs> but um, Tony has the press conference and I, obviously everybody talks about in this particular scene how he's like, Stark Industries will make no more weapons. Hooray, peace and harmony, which is obviously an important part. But I loved the part where he talks about his dad and how he never got to say goodbye to his dad and he's like i would have asked him questions about why he wanted to start this business and that da, 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 da. i just i thought that was a really sweet moment that i totally forgot about in this movie and i think that's what makes his character so so loved is you get that vulnerable side as well and it's like maybe there was two lines or something about it but you there's a whole world in that dialogue exactly this, it's so good and this made me think of endgame with him traveling through time and then, like, running into his father. He's, he's his dad. <laughs> and it's just like, God damn it. So, yes, Tony says, Stark Industries, no more weapons. Ha ha. And Obadiah is pissed. <laughs> he's like, um, 
you're ruining this company. The stock prices. What of the stock prices? Oh my god! And Tony's like, "Fuck you!" Basically, I'm doing this, and uh, he basically pretends to be on Tony's side throughout a good chunk of the rest of the movie until we find out that he's evil. It's insane with the arc reactor technology that Tony has in his chest. Tony shows him it, but he doesn't see... He doesn't really give a shit. That potential, like, would be insane. Like, it's in his body and it's working. Like, I don't understand how that doesn't blow your mind. Well, they're powering their entire lab with it. And he says, oh, we did it as sort of a, a what, like a parlor trick or something. He kind of writes it off like it's just kind of a, a novelty. To satisfy the hippies, I think he said. You could power the entire world. You think there's no money in that? <laughs> so after um, his little talk with Obadiah, first he builds a more powerful arc reactor and he has Pepper actually replace it. He tells her to destroy the old one because like, what's the point of it? And then <laughs> Pepper's like, well, did this thing kind of like saved your life. You don't want to keep it. And he's like, no. And she's like, I know better. But yeah, then he starts working on like the, the newfangled suit, the red and gold suit that we all know and love. He purposely makes a point to keep it a secret from pretty much everybody except for Pepper because both Obadiah obviously is like against this whole thing. And when he goes to Rhodey to talk to Rhodey about it, he also is kind of against it because he's more, he's in the military. So he's used to Stark doing military weaponsy things. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was trying to figure out. Cause like they're friends, but it seems like they're friends because they've been put in a business type situation or like, he's like the liaison. For the government but they just because it's like there's a friendship there but there's also kind of like a you know we're friends because we're in this situation kind of a thing so it's hard to tell like it's and i don't know if it's terrence howard's acting that makes it not feel super friendly it might be he doesn't really have a lot of charm generally speaking terrence howard not cheetle charm no yeah no definitely not cheetle level well not many people have cheetle level charm let's face it <laughs> But basically, during this whole time, like, everybody is saying that Tony is just suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And Obadiah is saying, like, oh, you know, the board of directors at Stark Industries is trying to lock you out and say you're not competent enough to make major decisions, blah, blah, blah. So at one point, there's this, like, big charity event, and he decides to, like, crash it. He has a whole moment with pepper where they kind of continue their little will they or won't they Ooh, boss and his secretary how not cliche at all <laughs> oh and then he runs into christine everhart and it's funny because he doesn't remember who she was even though they had sex but she informs tony stark that stark industries weapons were recently delivered to the ten rings gang and were being used to attack a village in Afghanistan that just so happened to be Yinsen's home village. So Tony is particularly peeved about that, obviously. He has a whole confrontation with Obadiah, basically confronting him and saying, like, how are these fucking guys getting our weapons? Are, you, are, are we selling them under the table to these people? And Obadiah basically reveals the stunning truth that he's the real bad guy. He's trying to lock Tony out of the company. Mwahaha. And he's going to sell weapons because that's what villains do. <laughs> so uh, Tony immediately goes back to his workshop and he dons his fancy red and gold armor and he flies off to Afghanistan to save the village and that's what's cool about these movies too. And and actually, um, I think Iron Man really did pioneer this idea of like the, the the gray area of like the hero and the villain, you know, because Tony Stark killed a lot of people. Yeah, they're arguably bad people, of course, right? But he straight up murdered people. And that's kind of brushed over in a certain sense. But like a lot of these superheroes are like that. And now that's kind of part of the dialogue of this, which is like, you know, who's the hero and who's the villain? And some of the villain's motivations you can kind of identify with. And I think that makes it so much better than just the kind of like the clear evil Bond villain kind of a thing. Oh, definitely. Because, I mean, they explored that even more in like Civil War because it was like Team Cap or Team Tony. And you're like, but and no one really felt like they were on the right or the wrong side. It was, You know, no one was all the way wrong. and No one was all the way right. So it was just like this weird gray area and weird balance of like, how do we fix this? It Yeah. But the, the <laughs> character that really emphasizes that is Magneto. 
I'm not, I I literally at some point because I know the X that's X Men right yes and at some point we're gonna have to talk about X Men and I'm gonna have to watch all the X Men movies because literally X Men I have no knowledge well <laughs> it's just Magneto is he's really, the guy with the big helmet right yes he does have a big helmet the guy with the big helmet I know who that is <laughs> the magnet guy yes <laughs> the magnet guy so um seeing as how this was the first real heroic act of Iron Man as we know him in the red and gold suit, I feel like now is a good time to get to uh, one of our favorite good old segments. The first time we're doing it in season three. This is the cast could have been. So <laughs> we kind of touched briefly on cast could have for Iron Man when we discussed Tom Cruise being considered in the 90s. But I, I have some more here that are interesting. <laughs> Firstly, we have another guy who was considered back in the 90s to be Iron Man, and his name is Nicolas Cage. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I think that would have been fun. <laughs> and by fun, I mean a mess. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Huh? That's all you have to do! But um, as far as the more current adaptation of Iron Man that we have now, there were other actors considered before we settle on RDJ. We have Clive Owen. Uh, bland. Who, yeah, it's another bland white guy who I don't really like that much as an actor. I've only liked him in like two movies. But uh, we also have Timothy Oliphant. Or as Kevin Smith calls him, Timothy Oliphant-tastic, because apparently he allegedly has a little bit of an ego, which may have worked for Iron Man. <laughs> so maybe he would have been good at it. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That, in another reality, that that might have worked. I feel like it, it isn't the worst choice, definitely. No, it, It's it, better than Nick Cage. <laughs> and I love Nick Cage, but like, I just, I can't see it. Out of the four we've been given, he's probably the best choice so far. <laughs> So, uh, another one we have is Sam Rockwell, who I love. Yeah, Sam Rockwell would have been good. He's got the attitude for he it. He ended up getting the, the villain role in the second film. Oh, right, yeah. He's one of my favorite actors, actually. He's pretty good in that role. Hopefully he comes back in a, in a future uh, something, because they didn't kill him off or anything like that. Um, and then last but not least, there was someone who was originally offered the role but turned it down. Someone who is in the x-men franchise do you want to guess i feel Currently? like scott wants to guess um not he left i guess technically because he's he's dead his character he's dead uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> that would be fucking hilarious no <laughs> Oh my God, Fraser! Oh, Iron is it? Man. Is it fuck? It's is it Wolverine? Is that who you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's Hugh you. Jackman, baby. Hugh Jackman, which would have been weird. <laughs> I feel like Hugh Jackman is another one where he's so ingrained with Wolverine that like it would it would be weird thinking about that. I just can't. See, I've never seen him play like Wolverine's an ass, but Tony Stark's such a different kind of ass. I think the problem is that that Downey Jr. plays him so well that it's almost like there's nobody even that you can imagine. That's absolutely true. There could be no Marvel Cinematic Universe whatsoever if they made it with Nick Cage. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Downey basically created, I'm not saying single-handedly, but definitely played a role in what we've had for the last and what we're going to have for the next 20 years because of his performance oh here's a weird question since you mentioned that do you see the mcu ever ending like ever just being like okay we're done we're, we're moving on from the superhero mcu machine you would have to have two or three movies bomb in a row i don't and know i don't know if that that's... would even do maybe in a row but like there there have been bombs in the mcu there is no movie that comes close to making a billion dollars right now at all, ever. And if you have the ability to make half a billion to a billion plus, I don't see any studio that's going to stop that train in any level. Even if there's a few flops, I, I feel like they'd still continue. 
Right, exactly. And, you know, the other thing about it is that they've done so brilliantly is basically they've interwoven their movies together. So you you cannot see one of them and you're missing something. Almost everybody's going to see almost every movie at some point because they're all just some they're all cross connected. Could they go on forever? Nothing lasts forever, but they certainly have on paper plans to go for through at least, I think, 2026. Well, even if you look at the other big universes, Star Wars has been going since 1977. Maybe not consistently. but they took a big old break in between there. A couple, actually. Marvel, I mean, I get what you're saying, for sure, but Marvel's like a different animal. I think Marvel pretty much solidified their their place in our culture for our lifetime, at least. It's crazy how, like, we kind of lived to see, like, the birth of this through Iron Man, and now it's become this monster, and, like, it just can't be stopped. Well, even even my daughter, right, she got, she got into this Spidey show on D- Disney Junior. So she got introduced to Spider-Man through this little kid's show, and I didn't force it on her at all, even though she knew that Spider-Man was my favorite character. And now I'm imagining that, like, when she starts to get 8, 9, 10 years old, I can start to introduce her to the movies. That's true. Okay, so back to Iron Man. Yes, back to Iron Man. Um, this is where we really kind of get the evil plot of Obadiah Stane to unfold. Obadiah goes to meet with the Ten Rings, and we basically find out that Obadiah had planned this whole kidnapping of Tony Stark from the beginning because he wanted Tony to be killed so he could take over the company. Mwahaha. And yeah, obviously that didn't work out. The people from the Ten Rings have apparently collected all like the scraps from Tony's super suit from the desert. So uh, Obadiah takes all that stuff and he's like, I'm going to use it to make my own super super suit. And uh, then we come back to Tony and Pepper and they have a nice little confrontation, basically, where um, she kind of finds out that he's Iron Man and he's like, I I need you. You can't leave me. Please don't leave me. I got nobody else. And uh, I really liked that scene, despite the fact that I don't love their chemistry together. I think that they're trying their damnedest (laughs) to make it work. You stood by my side all these years while I reaped the benefits of destruction. And now that I'm trying to protect the people that I put in harm's way, you're going to walk out? You're going to kill yourself, Tony. I'm not going to be a part of it. But basically, Tony convinces Pepper, like, listen, go into the Stark database because they're blocking me out. Go in there and hack the system. Hack the planet, as they say. And this is, like, the most tense scene in the fucking movie because literally Pepper goes into Tony's office and, like, hacks the mainframe, you know, as you do. And she finds out that Obadiah planned this whole thing, which it seemed kind of like a clunky way to have that revealed to Pepper because why oh why would he Obadiah have that information just on like a server in the company database that he arranged to have the CEO of the company killed by terrorists (laughs) see that's funny because you're dumb so it's a super tense scene because Obadiah comes in the office and he's like talking very evilly to pepper and she's like oh well you know gotta go (laughs) and then the second she walks out the door i'm like take your heels off and run bitch but she she gets down the stairs and she of course runs into colson and she's like ah mr colson come with me we will have our meeting immediately (laughs) oh yeah obadiah goes immediately to fucking tony paralyzes tony and is like hey you shouldn't have involved pepper in this now i gotta kill her Classic, tell you the whole plot before I kill you scene. Right, exactly. We, we forgot to mention, uh, as we said before, Tony wanted to throw away his original uh, heart piece. Oh, yes, this was a sweet... This also made me feel feelings because of Endgame, but go ahead. And uh, <laughs> Pepper made it into, like, a trophy. Yeah, he, she put it in a glass case and put, like, a thing around it that says, proof that Tony Stark has a heart. And I was like, oh, and I felt feelings because the Endgame... Uh-huh. So after Obadiah rips the arc reactor out of Tony's chest. But Tony manages to get the OG reactor out of the glass case just in time. 
Um, the only thing is it's obviously not as powerful as the one Obadiah stole, but he hooks it up to his suit and goes off to save the day. So everything's kind of coming together now. We're getting to the climax of climaxes. Pepper and Colson and agents, they go to Obadiah's little HQ where he's building his super, super suit. And they can't find him until suddenly the super, super big Michelin Man, Iron Man suit comes out of the wings and just attacks Pepper. <laughs> then, of course, like right as Obadiah in the suit is about to kill Pepper, Tony shows up da -da -da -da, and he saves Pepper and they're fighting. And it's Stark versus Obadiah. Tony is losing power because his arc reactor isn't as powerful as the other one so he's like we gotta come up with a plan to stop this tony tells pepper listen i'm gonna lead him onto the roof you go to the big arc reactor that's powering the whole building and like blow it the fuck up basically and it'll kill obadiah and she's like but it it'll kill you too though and he's like ah, it's fine <laughs> which is kind of funny because like later on in the Marvel franchise and even like leading up to Endgame obviously where he makes the ultimate sacrifice I mean one of the biggest moments in the in the franchise is when Cap goes to Iron Man he's like oh you're not the guy to make the big sacrifice but literally in the first movie he was willing to die <laughs> well not only the first movie in the original Avengers oh true yeah <laughs> like yeah, I think he's proven that multiple times that he's willing to die <laughs> That's kind of his thing, actually. So, Josh, in this final battle, where are some of the moments that like stick out to you between him and Obadiah? Well, the thing is, first he takes him up into the air, really, really high, right? And he says, how did you solve the icing problem? And he says, what do you mean the icing problem? And, of course, he yeah. starts crashing down to Earth. But what we don't get is how he gets safely down to Earth. And that's what well, kind of stuck out to me, which was like, I wanted to see the scene where his suit came back online and he somehow made a safe landing because the next thing you know, they're back on the roof. Yeah, that would, yeah, I understand that. Uh, I do enjoy when the mother of like free runs Tony over. Yeah. That whole scene with like the mom and her kids in the SUV getting like tossed around like a goddamn volleyball. And the whole time the mom is like holding out her arm across her kid's chest. Like, you know how people do in the car where you have to like make short stop or whatever. And I'm like, honey, that's not going to help at this point. You're flying through the air with the greatest of ease. Like holding your kid is not going to help you at this point. Uh, yeah, arc reactor explodes, Tony gets knocked out of the way, Obadiah takes the full blast, falls into the arc reactor, boom, dead. No! Yeah, the day is saved, uh, and then Coulson comes in, uh, to Tony backstage, and he's like, here's what we want you to say, and everything will be over, and everything will be just fine, tied up in a pretty bow, and you won't die, ever. And then, um, we get, of course, the most infamous scene in the movie, where we have the press conference and he starts reading from the index cards and he's like, I am Iron Man. You can just see it in his brain, like the internal monologue going, ah, fuck it. And it was, it was so good. Roll credits. Yeah. Yeah, literally. It's so crazy how iconic this line has now become. And it wasn't in the script. That, yes. was not, that was not the original ending. Um, apparently, uh, Downey Jr. wanted to do it, and they did a couple versions of that, and they ended up putting that in. And I can't tell you how brilliant that is, you know, because the idea of like a superhero, the conflict of a superhero that always has to hide their identity, for me, is kind of an annoying part of things, because that burden that they carry unnecessarily in a certain sense. I know they want to protect people they love and the whole, you know, thing, but the fact that he just told the whole world his identity was such a twist on what normally happens. Uh, even the whole speech leading up to it's great. Like It is one thing to question the official story and another thing entirely to make wild accusations or insinuate that I'm uh, a superhero. I never said you were a superhero. Didn't? Mm -mm. Well, good, because that would be outlandish and uh, fantastic. And, and Marvel like, changed the game yeah, again because now we all have to sit uh, through every and, credit oh ever. Oh, my God. Yeah, I feel like that wasn't a thing. Maybe I'm sure some movie did it sometime. There's Bueller. Oh yeah. Well, that didn't really count. I mean, it wasn't an after credit scene that wasn't any important. It's just Matthew Broderick yelling at everyone to leave. 
this was like real shit like we sat there throughout the whole freaking credits because we knew it was coming even though we'd seen the after credit scene multiple times before but we still sat there last night and waited through the whole credits just to watch it again and tony comes into his big fancy mansiony house on like the side of a mountain by the way did we mention he has a house on a mountain billionaire and he looks over and there's this shadowy man in the distance standing by the window. Who could this be? And it's fucking Sam Jackson all scarred up with an eye patch and a big black coat. And you're like, God damn, <laughs> this man looks awesome. Who is he? And he's like, I'm Nick Fury from S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. You think you're the only superhero in the world? Ha ha ha. Oh, Stark, you're so silly. Welcome to the Avengers, bitch. <laughs> And that's that's the show. <laughs> it was literally like a minute long, but yet we still sat there and watched fucking like eight minutes of credits just for that. <laughs> well, I was thinking, yeah, because I mean, who knew? I mean, who sat to and it wasn't a mid credits. It was an end end credits. So it's like, oh, yeah, I can't imagine almost anybody in the original theater when you first went. Oh, I I did. Did you know, though? No, I had no clue. I sit through the credits anyway. Why? Because that's just who I am. That's a weird thing to do. Uh, so and it's just you got like, nowhere to be. <laughs> it's, it's just I sit there, and then when the scene came on, I was like, "What? What is this?" Obviously, they didn't know what they had on their hands here with this movie, and they certainly weren't preparing for, you know, a tie-in to a larger cinematic universe. But they still, between the roadie line where he says "next time" and this one, they were obviously at least hoping that's for the success so that they could have a budget to do another movie right it's kind of like regular movies where like if they end it ambiguously they're like oh it it set up for a sequel but then like it bombs and they're like oh i guess we're never getting a sequel (laughs) well no like again if you end this movie where it ended Uh uh-huh i am iron man boom done movie's over you can almost live with that you could live with that ending I mean, it's a complete movie. It doesn't require you to go like, oh, I have to go now make a watch a sequel. Like you hope for a sequel because obviously you want to see more of it. But it it is a totally from start to finish self-contained story. That's been the problem with a lot of like the dark universe and like the DCEU. What's the dark universe? No, that was uh, The Mummy. Oh, for fuck's sake. Are we really talking still about that like it was a thing? They tried to make it a thing. It's so absurd. But you can't make a movie so that you can eventually make the third, fourth, fifth movie. You have to exactly. make, the, make it's, the movie. And if you if you don't focus on that, you there's no guarantees. Like it's it's ridiculous now for other franchises or like, you know, properties to try and be Marvel. Because now everyone's so used to Marvel, like it's you can see it from a mile away. Oh, they're trying to be Marvel. Like, just don't like don't do it. It's not going to work out. And if it does, it ain't going to be as successful as Marvel. So, like, what are you really doing? Yeah, you're not going to get 30 movies deep. Let's let's stop it here. No, if DC can't do it, nobody's going to do it. They're the only. Yeah, I don't. DC can't get it together. Yeah. The bet like the best movie they had in like the past couple years was probably Shazam. That's because it was the most Marvel looking movie out of all their movies. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly right. Yeah. But um yeah, that was that was Iron Man, guys. I feel happy. I'm excited to talk about more Marvel movies as we go through this season. I'm I'm excited and terrified of the feels that I will feel. But that's besides the point. <laughs> So, Josh, since you're our guest, what are your final opinions of Iron Man? Iron Man is an excellent film. Iron Man is definitely worthy of being the spark that lit the entire MCU. I think that there's no other movie in my mind that could have done it like that. It got the kid in me back. I never feel more like a kid than when I'm anticipating a new Marvel movie. And I love that feeling as a adult with an otherwise pretty boring existence to be able to go to a <laughs> to a to a movie and get excited watching it again i just i had appreciation it absolutely holds up it feels like part of the i mean i just saw spider-man and there's there's even though 2008 so what's that 10 12 13 years have passed there's still feels like it's part of the same total universe and that's a real credit to everybody involved at every level oh absolutely I definitely agree. Josh, what would you give this movie? I have a feeling what you're going to say. What would you give this movie as a rating out of five stars? 
out of five, I'm hesitant to always give like tens and stuff. I'll give it four and a half out of five. Uh, I'm, I'm exactly the same. Four and a half out of five. I gave it a four out of five. Um, I, yeah, I still get a kick out of this movie to this day. And um, I, I especially, of course, Scott loves the end credits where, you know, despite the fact that we had to wait 50 years to see the end credit scene, we got to go out with Iron Man. Uh, Black Sabbath, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, thank God. <laughs> I was like, wait, who is that shit? Um, which I'm sure we'll end this episode on as oh, well. Yeah. So uh, we're going to do a bit of an interesting little thing with uh, the rest of this month. Basically, what me and Scott decided is we're going to kind of take the next two months for ourselves. This month's going to be for Scott and next month's going to be for me. Because Scott's a big video game nerd. The month of January is going to be video game movies. God help us all. <laughs> uh, no, there's going to be some rage from me, personally. Uh, Probably from me, too, because I don't want to watch these. Um, actually, I do want to watch one of them because I think it's going to be really funnily bad. But then the month after that, it will be my month. And we'll talk more about that when we get there. Because emotionally and mentally, we have to prepare for what's coming from Scott's month. Next week... We're going to watch the first of three video game movies that Scott is going to introduce to me back to back to back. <laughs> Kill me. Um, <laughs> but before we do our official outro, Josh, is there anything you want to plug before we let you go here on Shoot the Flick? Well, I'm a web designer, so if anybody has a need for web design, I can give my website. It's www.grassrootsconsult.com, C-O-N-S-U-L-T. Dot com and yeah you can hit me up and uh get you a great great looking beautiful website but other than that i just want to thank you guys very much for having this was a lot of fun and uh if you ever need a third wheel for another marvel movie i'm uh, i'm open to it oh we'll definitely hit you up i'm sure <laughs> yeah this was a blast josh is a great web designer don't let him be humble about this and we, we obviously had an awesome time with you. And maybe we'll get you on, since you did the first episode, maybe we'll try to get you on for our, our last episode of the series, which would technically be Endgame, which is going to be an emotional ride for everyone involved. So we're going to need emotional support. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if we can make that happen. But until next week when we have our <sighs> fuck video game month beginning i'm scared okay uh this has been shoot the flick i'm frankie sparks i'm scott eisenberg and i'm josh lamont make sure you check us out on instagram and twitter at shoot the flick and check out our weekly episodes every single wednesday on itunes spotify google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast and make sure you come back next week for our torturous <laughs> hellscape <laughs> movie adventure Oh, we're going to go into the horror world, people. Get ready. Da, 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 da.